following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I would like to ask you to think about when you were a kid. Some of you are still kids, so you can think about this past month probably. But for those grown-ups among us who um, have forgotten our childhoods, <laughs> I want you to go back in time to when you were a kid, and I want you to think about this. What was the moment or the day when you knew it was really finally Christmas time? What was the, the signal in your routine that made you feel like, okay, finally it's Christmas? Was it... I bet for a lot of you it was uh, when school let out, right? How many of you had a, loved that two-week Christmas break? And when you got off the school bus, you were like, I am free. Yeah. Maybe, though, maybe you were more strictly observant of the day, and the, the moment when you knew it was Christmas was when you finally got mom and dad out of bed on Christmas morning so you could race downstairs and have a prolonged breakfast over which you would have much great conversation <laughs> while you waited for the moment when you could rip open your presents. Maybe you have some other kind of family tradition. My family has a tradition since we've uh, had kids. We have um, gone downtown a, cu- a few days before Christmas, the week leading up, to get some hot chocolate at Java's Cafe and go see the, the Liberty Pole all lit up. Have you been downtown to see that this year? And to see all the... Uh, the trees with the lights on them and the, the shops and everything. So do you have a moment in your head from when you were a kid when you knew it was really Christmas? Now, I don't um, want to make you sad so quickly after making you happy, but I also want you to think about the moment when you knew Christmas was over. <laughs> right? When did you know, all right, fun's over, time for the winter blahs. Was it right after you opened all your presents? Like, ah, the fun's over now. Was it when you put the, 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 uh, the dried out, knee-dropping, needle-dropping tree out on the curb? Is that kind of like this signature moment of the end of Christmas? Well, let's be honest. It's when you had to go back to school, right? <laughs> That's when Christmas felt like it was over. Well... We want to be thinking during this next couple of weeks about Christmas as a season. It's not just a moment in time, not just a single date on the calendar, but as a season. And um, if you were here when we began our service, you remember that I talked about how the church typically observes the season of Christmas um, as a mirror of how America observes it, which I, in my opinion, is closely tied to uh, how retailers want to observe it as a season, right? Um, the church observed Christmas as a season starting on the day of Christmas and then going for 12 days. Right? America observes Christmas the inverted way. We have the season of Christmas that leads up to the day and then it's, then it's done. Right? So we try to mark this liturgically and in other ways that, that, that Christmas is a season that's just begun. So we had a beautiful Christmas Eve service, as we always do. And by the way, thank you to Jessie, who's teaching the kids now. She was right over there, but she's not anymore. And to everybody else who made that service a success without me being there. 
I had nothing to do with that service for the first time in, I think, six or eight years, um, which was really kind of a blessing to my family to be able to just chill out and be together. Um, so thank you to all of you who were involved in that, making that happen. But even with that beautiful Christmas Eve service, if that's all we did to mark the date of Christmas, that would be a little anticlimactic, wouldn't it? Four weeks of Advent anticipation, waiting, and especially this year when Advent was pretty intense for us, the particular themes that we explored. And then a one-hour service, and you go home, go to bed, and that's it. So we want to do it a little differently this time. We've, we've done this in the past. But it's been a few years since we've done a, a season of Christmas type of observance. We want to spend the next two weeks observing what the church has called Christmas Tide. The season of Christmas. And we're going to base this on the text from the Revised Common Lectionary, which assign us a series of readings each Sunday. And you've already heard a few of those uh, this morning. And my hope is that this will lead us to um, not just a, uh, an adjustment of the way we think about the calendaring of Christmas, but also lead us to an adjustment of our philosophical or theological sense of what Christmas means. So, let's turn to the words of Scripture. Now, as I said, we've already heard from three of the the four lectionary passages today. Uh, I want to read the last one now. Uh, It's from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 33. And we are um, only traditionalist and liturgical in, in fits and starts around here, but in truly liturgical settings where the lectionary passages are read every Sunday, the congregation would stand for the reading of the gospel. So I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of the gospel. I'm going to read Luke 2. I have a printout of it here, actually. Thank you, though, Dan. I had a printout of it. Yeah. Why don't you just give me that Bible after all there, please? (laughs) Thank you. He even opened it to the right page. He knows his Bible. (laughs) I'll make that white next week so you can read it a little better. (laughs) It would be more festive. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so Luke chapter 2, and um, I'm going to read 22 through 33. Now, the lectionary actually assigns through verse 39, but I'm going to stop a little bit short of that. Talking about the... The family of Jesus, Jesus and Mary and Joseph. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, quote, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, end quote. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles 
and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Well, that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, right? If we're being semi-liturgical, we'll do that. You can be seated. There's actually a different call and response for the reading of the gospel, but I didn't know if you would know that one. So I am going to go back and look at those other passages as well in a minute. But this reading from Luke 2 really um, sets up what we're talking about this morning, Christmas as a season. So let me explain what I mean by that. So we have Mary and Joseph um, bringing... Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to have him consecrated, designated to the Lord. Now, in Exodus 13, the law says that the firstborn of every, you know, every household, and actually of the animals as well, um, must be consecrated to the Lord as holy. Uh, now, they consecrate the animals differently than they do their babies, thankfully. So they come and they bring a sacrifice along with Jesus. Their, their sacrifice is the one that would be acceptable for a very poor family, it's, a pair of birds, right? A a more wealthy family would have to sacrifice a more valuable animal. And as they're in the temple preparing this whole uh, ritual of consecration for their firstborn son, Simeon, this prophet who's been promised that he will see the Messiah, and the Messiah is God's anointed forever king. Um, If you've been reading the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, you're probably familiar with that phrase, God's forever king. And he takes the baby... This is, see, one of the great privileges of, uh, of being a member of the clergy. You get to take all the babies <laughs> and hold them. This one is obviously very special because he prays this beautiful prayer. And in the course of the prayer, he defines for us what is happening in this little baby. He defines for us, as a matter of fact, what Christmas means. And here's what he says. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Remember that word, salvation. And remember that Simeon connects salvation with the baby Jesus. He says, God has prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. All families, all nations. What a remarkable thing to say in the Jewish temple at a moment of consecration. That this salvation is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of Israel. And he says that in holding Jesus in his arms, he has seen God's salvation. This salvation is going to be available to everyone. And so that really does set up for us what I want to try to say about Christmas being not a single moment, not even just a single day, but a season. So I want to go through the other two passages Uh, two of the other ones from the lectionary, and talk a little bit about um, Christmas as a season. I'm not going to read the entire thing in every case. But let's look first at the passage from Isaiah. Um, We read this passage from Isaiah 61 earlier, verses 10 and 11. This is a passage that we Christians interpret as being a prophecy about Jesus. Now, there's not uniform acceptance of that. Obviously, our Jewish brothers and sisters have uh, a different way of interpreting that. This passage and others like it. But for us, for we who confess Christ, this 
speaks so clearly to us of what God is doing in the world through Jesus. And the passage contains two metaphors, two images about what salvation is. And here's the first one. It says, He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. So salvation is a little bit like getting dressed. But not just any clothes. What kind of clothes? As a bridegroom decks herself with a garland, himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So it's not just uh, putting on your um, coat to go outside. It's not just putting on your special winter boots to go for a hike in the woods. Those things might evoke pleasantness, but they would be temporal, temporary, right? These adornments, these jewels and this clothing, they are beautiful, but behind that cosmetic beauty that we can see in the picture is something much more profound. And of course, the thing that's much more profound is, is a marriage. Right? Now, not all of us have had overwhelmingly positive experiences with marriage, whether it's the marriage of our parents or um, friends or siblings or our own that went wrong. Uh, I understand that not everybody has a uniformly positive view of this institution. But take marriage in its ideal and make that a metaphor for salvation. Salvation is being compared to a lifelong covenantal relational experience. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So you can see why it would be, it, it's, it's sort of silly just to think about it as a day. Christmas Day comes and goes and then we're done. So the first metaphor is one of clothing and specifically clothing of a, a wedding party. Which, by the way, I was um, very acutely reminded of this week because my mom and dad's 40th anniversary was uh, yesterday. And I put this picture on Facebook, but my dad had this amazing red crushed velvet tuxedo coat with the wide lapels and the big tall black bow tie and the ruffled shirt. Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know what that signifies if that's the clothing that, uh, <laughs> that kicked off this lifelong covenantal relationship with, with him and my mom. But <laughs> um, that's the first metaphor in the passage, right? The clothing of a marriage. And then it offers this second metaphor. Look at verse 11 of chapter 61 in Isaiah. As the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. So again, we have this um, welcoming of the nations, the other families of the earth. It's hinting at opening salvation to the Gentiles. But I love these organic metaphors in Scripture. They're some of my favorite ones. I love the idea that God's work in the world is like a plant. It's natural. It's miraculous, but very gradually so. And, of course, you have to get your hands dirty. So much like the marriage metaphor, I think this garden metaphor assumes a sort of ongoing uh, permanence, 
or at least a regular renewal. I suppose it depends on what type of plants we're planting. I'm not a, a gardener myself. But the salvation offered at Christmas, I think it's, it's, not, it's not a poinsettia, right, that we put in a pot <laughs> on our table and then January 14th rolls around and we realize it's been sitting over the heating vent for a month and it's all dried out and gross and we throw it away. Salvation is the type of planting, the type of garden that, that changes the landscape of the entire world. But it doesn't do it overnight. It's this ongoing thing as the seed sprouts roots and emerges from the soil, becomes whole and strong. So, okay, from the Isaiah passage we have these two images. Marriage, clothing, and a garden, plants growing through the earth. Let's turn uh, to Galatians chapter 4 now. This is the passage that I read as uh, words of assurance following our confession of sin this morning. And this is a passage that's very much about redemption through Christ. Right out of the gate, Paul makes it clear that that's what he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. He says, In the fullness of time, God sent his Son. All right, so right away, this is a Christmas passage, right? We're oriented toward Christmas right from the start in this passage. And then in what I think is one of the most profound and touching metaphors for salvation in all of the scriptures, he lays out what Christ's redemption means for us, which is that we might receive adoption as children. Isn't that beautiful? And by the way, this passage is one of those passages that if you are an acute student of poetry and figurative language and juxtaposition and parallelism, this passage will just be endlessly rich for you, which is why I said last week, I think if you want to understand the scriptures, you should have at least a, a, a basic working level of, of poetry and how it's written and interpreted. So uh, if you want to be a good Bible student, you should go take a, a course in um, poetic criticism at the community college or something like that. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to get an A. You don't have to publish any essays. But I think you do have to understand poetry if you want to understand scripture. Okay, rant over. I probably won't make that rant again for at least another week or two. But this passage is full of poetry. You have the parallelism between the, the Jesus being born of a woman, um, a biological child, and uh, adoption as children. And all kinds of stuff there. So look at that on your own. But what a beautiful thing. Anybody who's had any experience of adoption in, in your own life, whether it was you were adopted or you adopted somebody or you know somebody who's adopted, you know what a powerful and beautiful idea this is. See, under the law, we are slaves to our own sin. We're outside the household and the family of God. But in Jesus, we are not slaves. We are God's adopted children. And not only children, he goes on to say, not only are you adopted into the family, but you are written into the will. You are heirs to God's great riches. Inheritors of his fortune. Think of it. We are poor, lost orphans. And what Jesus offers to us is not just a day camp, not just a hot meal or a trip to the movies, 
Not just a big brothers, big sisters kind of mentoring relationship. All of those things would be nice. What he offers us is so much bigger. It's adoption into the family of his father. We become full-fledged members of the family of God, permanent residents of his household, and written into the will. So we can now add adoption to our list of metaphors that already includes marriage and gardening. Marriage and gardening and adoption. I don't know about you, but those have always been connected in my own mind. (laughs) Those three beautiful images have always formed a a rich tapestry uh, (laughs) of uh, imagery in my my brain. This is the fun thing about the lectionaries. You get all these weird things thrown into a pot together, and, and you get to stir them up and see this great picture emerge. And that was a mixed metaphor. You stir the pot and you see, I don't know, like a soup emerge, right? (laughs) Poetry. So here's what I want to say. If Christmas is just one day, then salvation is maybe like a a game of dress up. Or putting on fancy clothes to go out to uh, what might be a nice, but is ultimately a no strings attached dinner date. But if Christmas is a season then salvation is putting on the garments of covenant. Stepping into a lifelong, transformative relationship with God through his Son. Now, if Christmas is just one day, then salvation is a Christmas tree. It's big and pretty. It lights up. But it's only there for a short time before it's tossed out on the curb or becomes... Uh, fodder for a bonfire. The lights twinkle, but eventually they get put back in a box in the attic, and they are dark for another 330 days. That's if Christmas is just one day, but if Christmas is a whole season, then salvation is not a Christmas tree, but it is a garden full of live plants that are putting down roots in the soil of our hearts, where they will flower, and bear fruit for the rest of our lives. If Christmas is just one day, then we are temporary guests in the family of God. Salvation means we might get to enjoy one single meal at his table before we are back out in the cold. That's if Christmas is just one day. But if Christmas is a season, then salvation means we're not only invited to the table, but we are grafted into the family. We become his sons and his daughters. And as Simeon said in the temple, holding that beautiful little baby in his arms, God has prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples, all families, all nations are invited to partake in the salvation of the Lord through Jesus. He's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of Israel. And I've said this before, but when you take two groups of people, one of them is the people of Israel and one of them is the Gentiles, which means everybody else, and you put those two groups together, what do you get? You get every person. Salvation is offered and extended in Jesus to every person. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, not just as a one-time experience, but as a season. So let's try to observe it 
at least for a couple of weeks, as Christmas tide, not just Christmas Day. Let's pray. Thank you, O God, for these inspired words of Scripture, for prophecies and for theological treatises and for poetry and for history, all mixing together for these beautiful images of salvation as wedding garments, as plants in a garden, as adoption into your family. We pray now that this season of Christmas tide would be one in which we are continually drawn to the miracle of the Incarnation, one in which we are continually blessed by the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to sing a couple more songs together. Um, If you'd like to go collect your children, you um, can do that in just a minute. Uh, While we're singing, these last couple of songs, our communion table will be open. And uh, does somebody on the prayer team know? Do we have a member of the prayer team today? Okay, we do. So if you'd like to receive personalized prayer during this time, you can do that um, up here in these chairs. Uh, This table uh, is the table not of the church but of the Lord. That beautiful meditation that I read last week stands and applies each week. Um, It is not I who invite you, who call you to this sacrament, but Jesus himself. And any person who's seeking to follow Jesus in this place today is welcome to come to our table, to Christ's table. Receive the bread and the wine as remembrance of his broken body and his shed blood. Receive it as spiritual food for your souls. And partake of it as an act of unity, of communion with your brothers and sisters in this room and indeed with your brothers and sisters all around the city, all around the world, and throughout the history of Christendom. All Christians have gathered on one schedule or another to come to this table. We celebrate it weekly here, and it's always a chance for us to unite ourselves to each other and to those who've gone before us. Our table's open. Let's continue to worship him together this morning. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.